of old technology and new technology. So bear with me here. Um, real quickly, I wanted to give you a brief overview of the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'm just going to really do it quickly. So the first week, if I were to kind of give you a simple phrase, the phrase is, what is it? Right? That's what the first week was. What is it? We're talking about the gospel. And we talked a lot about what it wasn't or what it isn't and what it is. Right? And so I want to go over briefly just kind of the elements of the gospel. Right? So we talked about, number one, that we were created in the image of God for communion with God. Well, what does that mean? It means that we were given an essence and a purpose. Okay? Real simple. Number two, we damaged that image by sinning and broke relationship with him. So we damaged our essences, and we kind of broke the purpose of why we were here. Jesus came as God, because God kind of realized that, man, i got to come and be with this, these people that I created. And what did he do? He came to reveal God to us. Then he lived to reveal our true purpose. So not only was he God, but he was human. So he showed us, again, what the image of God was, what our essences were, and what our true purpose was. Jesus' teachings, his words and action, helped us to see ourselves for who we really were. Right? We're sinful. We're distant. We're broken. And then Jesus then took it upon himself to pay the price for our disobedience. He paid the penalty for the sin. He rose again and demonstrated the power of redemption. Through that rising again, he broke the consequence of that sin and brought us back into relationship with God. It's in that place that Jesus Christ then sends us the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit actually resides in us. It's not around us anymore. It's in us. And the only way we could actually carry the presence of God is by being truly our essence, which is the image of God. That which was created in the image of God can only bear the presence of God. Nothing else can. Okay? And then Jesus gave us community to practice and live out our faith. All right? That's the gospel message. Again, it's a little bit lengthier than the four spiritual laws, but I believe that there's some basic instances where we need to kind of understand all the little parts to really appreciate our own discipleship. Last week, I want to kind of label last week's talk, where am I? Right? So the first one is, what is it? Second one is, where am I? Where am I in relation to God? And where am I in relation to one another? Right? And we're kind of locating ourselves in relation to the gospel and seeing, well, what is it? And we talked a lot about sin. Sin is kind of the thing that creates distance between us and God and distance between us and other people. Have you guys ever experienced that? Yes? When you've sinned against someone, it kind of breaks your relationship or it kind of makes it sour. And, and, and so you start realizing, okay, I kind of messed up, so there's a little bit of dis- distance here. And that same dynamic occurs with God. Thankfully, God is kind and merciful. He works on the grace aspect in our life and allows us to not have that kind of distance, but also helps us to work on becoming better, working on our sin so that our sin becomes less and less toxic in our lives. So now this week, we're going to transition from what is it to where am I to who am I? All right? So before we actually talk about this, I want you to do something really uncomfortable I want you to look at your neighbor, preferably someone you're not as familiar with, okay? But look at your neighbor and just look at them for a minute. Just go like this. 
Some of you are going to say, nah, I don't want to do that. Some of you are going to say, I'm going to look at you, but only for a second. That's okay. You don't have to look at each other for a whole minute. I know that's uncomfortable. Okay, I know that's uncomfortable. But why do we do that? Why is there uncomfort or discomfort when we do that? Well, first of all, I wanted to kind of point out to you that when you look at somebody, there's a whole lot of things going on in your mind. There's a whole lot of filters that kind of communicate, that kind of buffer what it is that you're looking at. Okay? And what I say to you hopefully will revolutionize the way that you look at not only other people but yourself. Do you know that when you're actually looking at the person next to you that you're actually catching a glimpse of God. Now, immediately, some of you are like, "Now nah, that can't be God, right? Some of you are like, no way, because you're thinking, okay, he scratches his armpit, or, you know, she picks her nose, or whatever, right? And you're thinking, God possibly couldn't pick his nose, right? And so, so you're, you're, you have all these really weird filters, but if you just stop and think about it for a second, and when you actually look at the person, you really look at that person for who they really are. You look at them, and you say, man, God created that person, and there's something of God's image that he has entrusted into that creation. And that part is neither taken away, tarnished, nor destroyed. It's always there. And you have to kind of think about that for a second and say, is this person really the image of God? Because if you really believe in God and what he says, then you have to believe that he created us with his image, and we have to believe that the next person, flaws and all, are, are still carrying that very image of God. That also means that when they look at us, that they see us as the image bearers of God. And that's crazy, because we don't like to think that. We like to think in a little bit less epic terms about the person next to us. We want them to be commercial sized rather than Star Wars size, right? We want them to be just bite sized, little tiny snippets. And so we can't take in the full story of God. Well, let me share with you one of my favorite stories about Jesus. And uh, it's found in Matthew. Actually, it's found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, right? By the way, you guys know what Synoptic means? There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is for free, by the way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're, they carry a similar timeline and similar stories. Synoptic means like or alike. John is a little bit different, has a little bit of a different flavor, right? So you think Matthew, Mark, Luke is more like documentaries. John is more like Hunger Games, Okay? It's kind of like a story, an interesting story, drama and everything. Okay? So we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, those three Gospels have the same story. And the one we're going to look at is Matthew 22, and they're basically the same, starting in verse 15. So Jesus is teaching, and he starts saying some stuff that's inflammatory. What that means is that it's, it makes some people upset. And so they start, like, getting, like, unsavory back to Jesus, and some of the religious leaders people like myself, come up to him, and of course, we think that we're smarter than Jesus, so we're going to try to trap him, right? And so we're like, say, man, you're smart, you're good looking, you speak well, people love you, I'm sure God is with you, so answer me this. 
And he says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Do you guys remember this story? And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get him into trouble, right? What are the two answers? Sure, it's lawful. Oh, you sell out. See, Jesus is not the real deal. He's a sellout. But if he said, no, it's not lawful. Hey, cops, he's trying to get people to cheat on Caesar. Take him away. Right? You see the two options? And Jesus, it says, I love this, I love what it says here. Um, Jesus perceived their craftiness. Right? He saw that. He's like, okay, you little sneaks. He didn't say it out loud. It would be cool if he did, right? But he perceived it. And in his wisdom, he says, all right, I'll answer your question. Bring me a coin. What? Yeah, bring me a coin. And they're like, okay, okay. And they're all searching their robes for that inner pocket that's, you know, that robe pocket. Do you guys have a robe pocket? No, you don't? Just in case you have to run out of the house and you have a credit card. No, never mind. Okay, so they, you know, they pull out a little coin and it's a denarius. And then he says something really interesting. He says, whose likeness or image and inscription is this? In other words, her, whose picture and whose work name is written on this coin? And they said, well, Caesar. And then Jesus says something really cool. Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And they're like, And in their minds, they're like, not only did he skillfully evade our traps, he said something I didn't even understand. Because it said that they marveled. They, won, they had this awe. And they just kind of shut them up. They're like, oh. And people were like, ooh. And you know why they were kind of in awe? Because that statement, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and what to give to God what is God's, doesn't make sense. There's a piece missing there. What's missing from this story? Well, we know exactly what belongs to Caesar because he had them bring it to him, right? There's a coin. Okay, he has it in. What's missing is the statement. Well, what belongs to God? And this is not a philosophical question. If I asked you what belongs to God, most of you go, well, everything. Everything, the chair, me, ha, 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 you know. And no, it's not one of those kinds of questions. There's a very specific reason why Jesus left that out. People have to kind of ponder, well, what is it that Jesus wants us to give back to God? And the question is, what bears God's likeness? Us. You see? That's the part that's missing. And so all of a sudden, this becomes a wisdom teaching, right? It's no longer just a practical one where we say, okay, give that to Caesar, and that's okay. But the part that he wants to challenge us with is, how do we give that which bears his image or likeness to him? That's the key, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't even go around thinking, hey, man, I'm the image of God. 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 Do we guys do that? How many of you guys do that? Because I think it would be healthy if we did that. Oftentimes we go around thinking, man, I messed up, or 
oh, man, I have indigestion. Or, you know, we're talking about thinking about different things. And I'm like, man, we should dwell on, I am the image of God. So then if we accept the fact that we are the image of God, then this teaching about how we give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God then becomes ultimately relevant. It's like, how do I do that? How do I give myself to God? What does that mean? Let's go to the identity slide. When I ask the question, who are you? Or who am I? The immediate thing that comes to mind is our identity, right? So if I said, Caroline, who are you? You say, Caroline. Right? First thing. That's the inscription part, right? That's the name part. We know that. That was given to you. But who are you? And then people start saying, well, I'm a mom. Or I'm, I'm a woman. Or I'm a, I'm a man. Or I'm a basketball player. Or I'm a pastor. Or I'm a doctor or I'm a skateboarder, or something, we start spewing out all these things that we think we are. And we confuse the statement, who you are, with what you do. And I think God is less concerned about what you do, but he wants you to know who you are. And those kinds of questions then become hard for us, because then we get into the area of, well, I don't know who I am. And then we start having an identity crisis, right? There are two types when we're talking about identity. We call it a created identity and a constructed identity. And most of us go through life constructing an identity. And a lot of that happens when you're young. Like in middle school, you start wearing certain kinds of clothes, or you start hanging out with certain kinds of people, you start doing certain kinds of things, and you identify yourself with a certain aspect of life, and that that starts developing your identity. But that's constructed. We develop it instead of discovering it. And I think there's an essence of our own identity that God wants us to not create, but to discover, to understand. So we work so hard in clothing ourselves, right? We put on clothes or a certain way of looking or appearing, but we're not understanding how to be naked and unashamed. And I'm not talking about naked as a nude, but naked as an exposed. Like, who are we for real? Right? And that's hard. So let's talk about that for a second. Just for a second, let's talk about, well, who do I think I really am? How many of you guys ever pray regularly, God, how do you see me? Okay, let me encourage you to start praying that. It has a fundamental prayer in understanding who you are as created by God. So let's do that now. Let's bow our heads, okay, and empty your minds and just say in your mind's voice, God, How do you see me? Say it once and then just be silent. Okay. Now, come back out. By the way, if you feel like you need to sleep, go ahead and sleep. Because God blesses people through sleep too. Right? And if I, if I was instrumental in you receiving the blessing of sleep, thank God. Okay? So go ahead. I, I absolve you of all, any, and all guilt because God can bless you in your sleep too. Um, but 
when you pray that prayer and you start giving God space, some interesting things start to happen, right? Grace talked about an experience she had of prayer where she was going to God wanting to receive something from him, and she received something unexpected. It was, it was the gift of love, okay? And one of the things that you will receive over and over again is God's love and acceptance. You'll get this sense of, man, you are awesome. You know why? Because I'm awesome. That's what God says, right? Not me. But God, God's like, I'm awesome, therefore you're awesome. And he's the only one in all of creation who I cannot say, hey, you're arrogant. Right? Because he's like, you're right, you're right, you are awesome. And by extension, so are we. Okay? But sometimes we believe things that are not from God. We start internalizing words from other people. Our parents, our teachers, our friends, our enemies, the media, everything that tells us something about ourselves and not, that's not really who we are. And we cease to go to the absolute author of our lives, and we start to go to the pretenders in our lives for meaning. And that's what our social construct is, right? We then, as people of God, need to take that break and, and give God that space to say, hey, God, how do you see me? And let him then start informing that space. Because I can guarantee you how you see yourself and how God sees you is very different. How you see others and how God sees them, very different. In fact, if you pray that for yourself, God, how do you see me? You must also pray for other people. God, how do you see them? That's even a more dangerous prayer. Right? That's dangerous for me, a habitual grudge bearer, because then it, it really, really makes it hard for me to think negatively about them. It really challenges me. And God's saying to me, listen, you're really going to think that way about my creation, my image? Oh, God, that's hard. It is. But th- those are the things that we need to be praying. We need to understand the difference between what I call the positional self and the essential self. You guys know what the difference is? Okay. Let me explain that to you. Who said no? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I like response like that. All right, the positional self is who you are in relation to something else. And that's important, right? I am my wife's husband, I am my kid's father, right? Do you guys understand that? That's important, but that's not essential. Let me tell you the difference. Essential has something to do with this, that God, before you were ever, ever in existence, had something in his mind, and he said, okay, I have someone in mind who looks a certain way, who has a certain gift mix, who has a certain personality, and that is who I'm going to create, even before they have a name, okay? Because the name is usually something that God allows your parents to share in the creation process, right? It's like, I have that, that right there, conceived in me, created by me, bearing my image. That's your essential you. That's the essential self. Everything, when you're living an experience, is kind of a positional. But the thing that happens throughout life 
is we start asking questions really early on that helps you derail that essential self-search. Hey, Johnny, what are you going to be when you grow up? Fireman, doctor. <laughs> Hint, right? My parents wanted me to be a doctor. They made no... Uh, th- there was no qualms or, or, or question about what they wanted me to be, right? And when I actually went and worked in a hospital and uh, volunteered and said, okay, I'm going to be a doctor, so i got to get some experience, and I worked there, and for six months I worked there, and six months I came home every day depressed. <laughs> I realized I can't do this. See, I admire doctors and nurses and healthcare workers. Why? Because they can go in to a situation like that where it's utterly hopeless. There are people who are dying and sick and suffering, and they can bring hope and care and love. When I went in there, I got drugged down. I saw that, and I just came home depressed for six months, and I realized that's not the place for me. Do you guys understand that? And so what they wanted me to be and what I realized, there's something about me that doesn't quite fit that, was part of this process of, okay, I'm starting to understand who I essentially am. So essential means that God had something in mind when he actually created you, molded you, crafted you a certain way. And for the younger people, it's really hard to find out who you essentially are because you have very little experience. For older people, it's hard to find out who you essentially are because you've covered yourself with so much gunk. That's not you. So the younger people actually have to say, okay, I'm going to hold this open with, with an open hand and try to figure out, well, who am I and not grasp on to the next thing that comes along. Older people have to take this thing that we are and just start peeling away at all this stuff so we can get to more of who we are essentially. If we think that our identity lies in what we do or in our position, then we have kind of discounted the thing that God has created in us. We've covered it up. We've buried it. We've hidden it. And that's not what we want. God wants you to discover, to uncover, to reveal that which he created in us. Remember last week we talked about What is it to worship God? It's to become more and more like him every day, right? But I'm going to add one more piece to that. Because when he created us, he created me different than Caroline or different than, um, you know, Dave. He created me unique, which means that not only must I become like him, but I must become more like me, (laughs) the way he created me to be. Not what you think me to be, not what my parents think me to be, Not what society thinks me to be, but what he thinks me to be. What he created me to be. And that's hard. And this is, I think, the most neglected part of Christianity. We talk about the gospel, we talk about our sin. But we rarely talk about our essence. And I think you need all three to really have a healthy understanding of yourself in relation to God and other people. You need that. We need that. Turn to me, if you guys have your Bibles or your PD, you know, your... Things, okay, real quickly, to Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Who knows here what Exodus chapter 20 is famous for? Ten commandments. Divide that by two and you get ten, right? Woo, how does that work? Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. And this is the third commandment. You guys remember what the third commandment is? 
No, it's not. Don't steal. The third commandment. Right. Okay, let's talk about this. The first three, the first three deal in some, in some ways with God, right? The first one is thou shalt not have any gods or other gods before me. Right? Number two. You shall not have any graven images or idols, right? Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, Sabbath, right? Observe the Sabbath. Number five, and all the parents in here rejoice, honor your mother and father, right? Number six, Okay, now thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Okay, and we move on, right? So let me just kind of break it down for you this way. The first three have something to do with God and worship. Then you have the Sabbath, which I think has something to do with worship, but it's kind of the transition point between worship and also practical application, right, of, of our commandments. Number five, honor your mother and father. We'll talk about that one in a second. It's a very special one. And then six through ten has to do with how not... To violate another person. Right? And that's it. That's the sum total of the Decalogue. The, 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 the ten words. The ten commandments as we call it. So where does the whole image thing come in? Well in the second commandment. Where it talks about thou shalt not have any graven images. Or idols or stuff like that. I'm pretty sure most of us don't go home and go. You know what? I'm kind of feeling empty right now. I think I need to carve a deity. And I'm going to sit down and watch X-Files and carve a, a flying deity just, just so that I can feel a little less empty right now. I don't think any of us do that, right? So most of us don't even pay attention to that commandment because it really doesn't think, seem to have any application in our lives. We don't sit there and put that, you know, here's an image of, you know, Tom Brady and we're like, oh, oh. We don't do stuff like that. So we don't really have to worry about that commandment, right? Or do we? I think that the new form of idolatry, the modern form of idolatry, is identity building. Let's think about the most important thing, the height, the pinnacle, the absolute crest of what God has created. In Genesis it said... The thing that happened at the very, very end of creation, which is he created man and woman in his image. In his image, he created them, male and female. Right? That thing, he said, it was very good. And after, after he did that, he was done. He was like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Right? He was done. And that was a Sabbath. The Sabbath was him taking a step back and going, Woo, yeah. I did great. Woo, I'm hot. Woo, feel the heat. Right? He's just like really awesome, right? That's what God was saying. And and in that place, right, what he did was create this real deal. Now here comes human beings in a broken world, and what do we do? We take the real deal and we start building a false deal. We cover ourselves with different things. And, and, and I think God is like unhappy. 
He's like, no, 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 no. This is who I created you to be. This is really good. And then now you're making it something else. You're making it something different. And that's a graven image. We're taking something that's real and we're making something false. And that's what often happens is we present a false self. If you ever hear the non-Christian community say of Christians, what do they say the most about Christians? What? Hypocrites, right? Hypocrites. What does that mean? Hypocrite in Greek literally means acting. You're acting. You're, you're faking. And we don't even know we're doing that sometimes. And they can see it. They know that we've taken something real and we've made something fake out of it. And so our job as Christians is when we ask ourselves the question, who am I essentially? It's me removing all those things that I've constructed and all those idols and graven images and all those things that cover up the real me that actually cover up God too, right? When you cover up the real you, by the way, you you cloudy and muddy up who God is, by the way. And that's what we must do. So you're, you're asking me, well then, how do we do that? How do we avoid that form of idolatry? Because when God created us, and he created us good, he created us awesome, he created us right, and then we come in and mess with it, how do we unmess with it? What's the first step? Well, first step is recognizing that we do that. It's really hard, even for people who recognize to constantly be vigilant because they're like barnacles, right? The, the graven image things, they kind of stick to you, and it's really hard to get out. You guys know what barnacles are? Yeah? Okay, for those of you who don't know what barnacles are, you have a giant ship, right? A boat, and it looks awesome. And they created it like, oh, here's the paint and all that. Barnacles are what attaches itself to the hull after it being in the water for a long time. They're just like little... I don't even know what to call it. They're like little tiny misformed half clams that kind of, right? And it's really hard to get off, isn't it? And if you leave it in there long enough, all you see is barnacles and you never see what the hull of the ship looks like. So I think for us, when we let things like that attach to us, pretty soon people don't see us. We don't see us. And so what we need to do is say, man, i got to get rid of this stuff. i got to peel that off. Well, how do we do that? God, how do you see me? How do you see me? Because once we ask God's perspective on things, then our eyes start adjusting to his perspective. Then we start seeing ourselves for who we really are. That's the truth. Do you guys remember that story about how when Paul had the things fall off of his eyes after he was blinded and he actually could see Christ? We need that experience every day. We need those things to fall off our eyes so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. Here is the truth. Each person in here, created in the image of God, thought of in wonderful ways, has a grand and, 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 and beautiful purpose in life. And that should not and, and must not be covered. When Jesus said, a light on a hill cannot be covered or hid, remember that? That's you. 
When God created you with his image, his image is radiant in and of itself. The minute that it's in you, you just glow. You're like, woo! And that's awesome. And everyone needs to know and recognize that's awesome about you. And what we do is we cover up the awesome. We cannot stand the light. Remember when, G- when Moses came out of the tent of the meeting and he was glowing? This is an Old, Old Testament story, right? They made a tent. Moses goes in and meets with God. He comes out and he's glowing. Brighter than any glow stick that you would see in a rave. Just glowing. And people were like, ah, ah, cover yourself, ah. Right? They couldn't stand the light. And we often can't stand that light. We know that God created us. We know that we carry his image. And we have to understand how amazing and how glorious and how special that is. And we need to be then committed to recognizing and uncovering that in in us. When you look at your friends, when you look at your relatives, when you look at even your enemy, and you see them, and you just look at them, you say, man, image of God. Something bright there. Something amazing there. What is it? That's what we got to see. Right? And this is what I'm talking about. We saw, in the first week, what is the gospel? Second week, where are we? Where are we is not who we are. Okay? I, don't, I want you guys to understand that. We were not created for the purpose of sinning. We were not created with a sin gene. If that makes any sense. We were created good. Now, sin is our choice. But that doesn't define us. What defines us is how God sees us. And that's important. Let me let, let that sink in. What defines you is how God sees you. Therefore, it is absolutely important for you to spend time, as uncomfortable as it may be, to ask God, how do you see me? And that's got to be part of your discipline. The next thing that you guys got to do is get involved with real discipleship relationships. When Jesus came, he didn't come with a microphone attached to his ear like me. He didn't go out there and say, hey, I have a speaker. Let me preach to you guys 10,000 strong. He didn't do that. What did he do? He chose what? Twelve disciples. And you know what he said? You have defined yourselves as fishermen. This is what your dad did. This is what your dad's dad did. This is what you are doing, and you probably your kids will do. But guess what? You have a different purpose. You have a different essence. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. It's a different thing, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that Jesus is going to make all of you quit your jobs and do something else. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is maybe the journey that you've been on is not the journey that he wants you to be on. Maybe what you've thought about yourself for all these years is not how he wants you to continue to think about yourself. Maybe what you've been trying to develop and pursue in your, your life is not what he wants you to continue to spend your energy on. And those are questions that you have to ask in the context of, God, how do you see me? This is important. For those of you who are still developing your identity, Still pray that. But again, remember, you guys have little less experience, but a lot more wide open space. You have far less barnacles than someone like me. My fingernails hurt because I'm trying to take them off. You guys are like, ooh, 
All good, right? You guys have less to, to kind of contend with, but still ask the question because you don't want to go down the road of someone else's expectations or even your own self-false expectation. You want to establish that relationship with God. So get into a discipleship relationship. How many people here feel comfortable hearing about their own faults? No one? Okay, good. All right, a couple people. All right? And if you like hearing about your own faults, I can still guarantee you it's still painful. And it's not pleasant. All right? Because I know this. I've tried for years and years and years to train myself to listen to everybody's criticism. And even when someone says to me, hey, can we talk? There's something in me that goes, <gasps> okay. Right? I mean, there's still something that's a little painful about that. But that pain is okay if you know that it's going to bring you closer to God. That's the key. So when I say get into a discipleship relationship with God, most people think, oh my gosh, here, here's someone who's going to tell me about myself and how bad I am. Well, that may be part of it when we're talking about the positional self. But what's truly impactful about a real discipleship relationship is when someone affirms you for your essential self. When they can start seeing you with God's eyes, because your eyes sometimes fail yourself, when they see you and they say, no, there's something more there. There's something beautiful there. Let me give you an example. I was discipling someone, and this person had a real gift for music. Real gift for music. So gifted that other churches started calling this person and saying, hey, can you do this? Can you lead here? Can you do this conference? Can you do they were just starting to get neck deep in it. And, and I talked to this person, and I said, listen, I've been praying for you, but I don't feel like this is your, your area of true gifting. You're really good at it. By the way, if you're good at something, doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. Okay? Because human beings are awesome, and they're usually good at many things. Okay? That doesn't mean that you have to do it if you're good at it. Just, just FYI. And I was talking to this person, and I said, listen, you need to do a little bit more work. And see if there's something more that God has. And then this person just kind of thought about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then it turned into months. And finally they're like, yeah, I think you're right. And then they started, going and started exploring other areas. And man, they found this one area of, of, of giftedness. And it was weird because, you know, you know how like when someone, you know, learns a sport like tennis or swimming, they usually have to take a few years to get good at it, right? Have you ever seen someone who's just like a natural, a real natural? They'll just pick up something and boom, in two days they're an expert, right? This was kind of like that. And we're like, wow, never thought that God would reveal something like that for this person. And so the whole process wasn't like, oh, you're doing something wrong. Rather, it's, hey, there's something more for you. So what I want you guys to do, whether you're young, whether you're older, whether you're in the middle, I need you guys to really focus on finding a discipleship relationship, preferably within the church. Again, they're going to help guide you, but more importantly, they're going to be co-journeyers with you in the discovery of your essential self, that which God has created in you, his image. Help you uncover the stuff that's not supposed to be there and kind of treasure the things that are there. 
And once you get to that place, then all these other questions about your purpose and your calling will become a little bit more clear. A lot of people stress, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to, what's my purpose? What's my calling? Because we're asking those questions before we even know who we are. The first question, how did God create you? Who are you for real? Where is the God image in you? You guys understand what I'm getting at? I know it's a little philosophical here. But there's something here for you that you guys got to get. Everybody here is amazingly priceless and beautiful. True. It's true. So I want you to really quickly take a glance at your neighbor. You don't have to look at them for a minute. But really look at them as the image bearer of God. Look at each other. When you see each other, it's like you are from God. And when I see you, I see something of God. When I interact with you, I have interacted with something of God. And, by the way, when you interact with people, they see something of God. So if you have any questions about discipleship relationships, please talk to Pastor Dave, because I know he has a heart for this, because when we are involved in those kinds of relationships with each other, where we can truly see and help each other see our true selves, then we'll experience kind of a measure of growth that we haven't seen in a long time. You feel a little stuck? You feel a little stagnant? Let's really do some work in peeling off some of the barnacles in our lives. Amen? Okay, so close your eyes and just empty your thoughts. Don't pray. And let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, come and rest on each person in this place. Touch everyone's eyes so they can see how you see us. Reveal to us how you see us. Give us the strength and the courage to embrace and accept what you show us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.